Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Welcome here this morning. Can you believe it is already the end of October? It just feels like last week maybe I was up here saying, can you believe we're in October and here we are at the end of it. And, um, you know, something that you might not know is that every month one of the staff take on praying for the weather. And I've been on, on, on October. Just, I just wanted you to know that. Bruce is on for November. Avery's December, Gord is January. We're hoping that the new children's director is going to be on in February. I might be back up again in March. So anyways, that's just something really important that you should understand. I'm just kidding. Here's, okay, here's something that you really do need to understand. We are starting a new series today called Game Changers. And you know what a game changer is, right? Somebody that makes a difference, a real difference maker. Somebody that comes along and changes the shape of what's going on. They have a significant influence on either the course or the strategy or the outcome of something. And so we're going to be looking at this whole idea of game changers within the context of our biblical characters. So we're going to take a look over the next number of weeks at some of the Bible characters that have made a real difference, that God has used to make a real difference in the game. And they're going to be people that we can learn from in one way or another. They're going to point us to something that we can be doing, that we can be implementing in our lives, that we should be learning, and so that we can then be game changers too. And here's the point. As we're going into this series, it's not meant so that we can sit back and observe. Just that we're going to give you some interesting stories about some people just so that we can file that away. The whole intent of this series is that we would lean in. That you and I today would lean into this and that as we look at these characters, as we look at these people, that we would study them so as to be able to apply what we learn from them to our lives so that we can be game changers too. And the fact is, is that God is expecting you and I both to be game changers in the world where He's placed us. We've got this idea right now that there's a sideline in life. We've got this idea, I think, that there are stands that we can sit in and we can observe the world go by. And that's bogus. If you're here this morning, and if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I need to tell you, you are in the game. You're not watching. There's a cloud of witnesses for us somewhere. There's a bunch of people cheering us on, on another level. 
but they're not here. So if you are here, you're in the game, and we can't be on the sidelines. We can't be looking for the stands, because God's calling you and I to be game changers today. Now, we often think that game changers are special, that somehow they are different from the rest of us, that they have some particular extra ability. They're either really smart or they're particularly strong or maybe they're fast, etc., etc. And in that then, we think that they are better than we are, that somehow that they're on a different level, a different echelon, that leaves us pedestrians behind and, and, and with that then, our expectations are that much lesser for ourselves. We're, we're somehow absconded of the idea that we have to step up or that we can step up and that we can make a difference. And what we're going to find as we look at these characters over the next number of weeks is that more than not, they are just like you and I. They were just people that did something by which then God chose and used them, leveraged them to make a difference in their time and beyond. And so we have this opportunity as well. We can all be game changers. And again, I would submit that God is expecting us to be game changers for Him. So we're going to start today looking at Daniel. But before we do that, then let's stop once more and pray, like we always do, that God would come now and that He would speak to us, that He would help us to hear from Him today, so that as we go out from here, that we will be game changers as He's placed us. Father, this morning we come before You and we stop, and we would ask God that You would forgive us for the way that we sometimes place ourselves on the sidelines for the way that we sometimes think that we're not good enough, that we're not capable, for the way that we sometimes are maybe even not interested in trying to engage in life, in this mission that you've given us to be a testimony for you and the world around us. Forgive us, God. And I would pray that as we go into this series now, that we would lean in as your people, that we would lean into you today so that we could understand things that would make us better testimonies for you, that would make us game changers in the places that you've put us, so that we would be able to impact our brothers and sisters in the faith and others beyond the faith all towards you. And I pray these things now in Christ's name and for His sake alone. Amen. All right, well, now you'll remember the story of Daniel, right? Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of the Babylonians, comes along and he takes over the, the kingdom of Judah. And as he does that, then he takes Daniel and some of Daniel's cohorts, who we're going to talk about in a few weeks, and takes them into exile. Make, takes them captives. And they are set out now to work for Nebuchadnezzar. They're going to serve the Babylonian kingdom. 
And so as they go, Daniel begins to excel in his service to, to Nebuchadnezzar and to the kingdom. And as that happens, he gains more and more responsibility. They recognize his ability and they, they give him more responsibility. And so on it goes until Nebuchadnezzar dies. And then another king replaces him named Belshazzar. He takes over. And then finally, the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And you can study this in history. And what happens then is that Daniel still continues to rise up the ranks under the Persians now. And that brings us to Daniel chapter 6, which is where we're going to focus on mainly today. At this point now, King Cyrus is ruling. King Cyrus is the king of the Persians. And we're not sure exactly who this guy Darius is. Some would suspect or would submit that he was the, the governor of Babylon under Cyrus. Others actually think that Darius is just another name or an understanding of Cyrus. But one way or the other, Daniel proves himself an effective administrator such that Darius appoints him to be one of three guys overseeing the whole kingdom. And then, not only that, but as that happens, then Darius decides he's actually going to promote him again so that he's going to be in charge. Daniel's going to be in charge of the whole enchilada. And so that's kind of the backdrop to where we want to really now start and pay attention. That's what's been going on. And as that's unfolded and as that's starting to, to occur, then some of Daniel's peers, some of the other head honchos, start to get a little bit frustrated, peeved, uh, uh, perturbed with, with Daniel because he's getting promoted over them. He's starting to curb their desires, rain on their parade. And so they set out to get rid of Daniel. They decide, nope, we've got to get rid of this dude. We're going to be out of a job here. We're not going to be able to aspire to the positions that we think should be ours. But verse 4 tells us of Daniel chapter 6 that they could find no way to discredit Daniel. That as they looked at Daniel's life, they couldn't find any skeletons in the closet. And that was because Daniel was, one, trustworthy, and then two, that he was found to be neither corrupt nor negligent. So that is a great testimony for us already about who Daniel is. That he was trustworthy, and he wasn't negligent or corrupt. So at that point, these dudes decide that the only way that they're going to have any success in compromising Daniel with Darius and the king is if they discredit him by virtue of his commitment to God. And now, again, what a testimony. That they would look at him and they would say, alright, there's our angle. This dude is committed to his God. And so we're going to leverage that against him. So they go to Darius and they propose to Darius this plan where Darius is to issue an edict that no one in the kingdom would pray to any other person or God other than Darius for the next 30 days. And that anyone that decides to defy the edict 
should be thrown into the lion's den, which is to say they should be put to death. Now the king, either flattered by them, some would submit, some historians said, say that that was just an appeal to his uh, ego, and he agrees to do it. Others actually submit that he was maybe starting to try and establish his authority, that he had recently come into this position, the Persians had taken over, they're changing the whole structure, and so Darius decides that what he needs to do is he needs to kind of establish himself as the man. And so he decides, yep, this is a good idea. We're going to make this edict that no one can pray to anyone other than me for the next 30 days. And we're going to pick it up right there as Darius agrees to issue the edict. So Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 16 is where we're going to pick it up. If you've got your Bibles, and I'd encourage you always bring your Bibles, but if you don't have them, then we'll have them on the screen. You can follow along there. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Now you need to understand here that years before Solomon had talked about praying towards Jerusalem. And so this is something that Daniel is doing. He's just following sort of the, the biblical mandate set out, sort of the, the, the plan that has been established already. So we know that Daniel was aware of his scriptures. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Now as we come into this passage of Scripture now, this morning, the first thing that we want to note is the end of verse 10. The end of verse 10 says that Daniel continued giving thanks to God just as he had done before. So Daniel hears about this edict that has been put in place, but nothing changes for him. The king says, Darius says, nobody prays to anybody but me for the next 30 days. But Daniel looks at that and says, no, 
nope, not in on that. And so he continues to pray, just as he has done before. And at that point, we need to understand now that Daniel is committed to prayer. Daniel is in on that, and he's not giving it up. So he continues praying to God. Secondly, we should note that it was a moratorium on prayer for just 30 days. Now, let's put ourselves back in the position. The king issues the edict. There's a moratorium on praying to anybody except me for 30 days. And we look at that and we kind of go, well, no, we're not really in on that. But for 30 days, I think I can find a way to get around it. Right? There'd be a way that I can sort of fudge the lines, blur the lines such that I'm not really going to be in jeopardy here, right? Wouldn't we? Wouldn't that be what we would do? It's just 30 days. God's seen the craziness of this edict. He's going to understand. But not Daniel. And what we need to understand from that, that it wasn't just that Daniel was devoted to prayer, but rather that he was devoted to God. And that prayer was a vital part of his devotion to God. Prayer was the means by which that he stayed in touch with God. Prayer was the means by which that he connected with God. Prayer was the way that God spoke into his life. And so in his mind, this wasn't just about quitting praying. This was about somehow turning his back on God. Turning away from his commitment to God. And so in Daniel's mind, that's a no-go zone. Not in on that. And he conscientiously then objects. He was not about to break his commitment to God. Now, this is not the first time that we see Daniel's commitment to prayer in the course of his account. Over the course of his account, we understand that Daniel has been committed to prayer and and committed to God. It's referenced a number of different times, different ways. But what we need to understand here is that it wasn't just us that recognized that as we read the account. Daniel's peers recognized his commitment to God and his devotion to prayer. How many of us would be known by our peers for our devotion to God and our commitment to prayer? How many of your co-workers, how many even of our families would understand You and I to be that committed to God and that committed to prayer that they would understand that that was a no-compromise zone in our lives. Daniel's peers understood that. And what's more, they understood it to the extent that they knew that if they could get the king to buy in on this, that they had Daniel in a corner. 
because they knew that he wouldn't compromise on this whole idea. And that was the way that they were going to then nudge him out of the way. That is, he didn't submit to the edict that that would then cause the compromise for the king to get rid of him. It would require it. So his peers recognized it. But what's more, even Darius recognized it. Darius has just arrived on the scene. He's relatively new. But back in verse 20, he refers to Daniel, or sorry, he refers to Daniel's God as the one that Daniel continuously serves. Maybe your God, the one that you continuously serve, maybe he'll intervene for you in this whole thing. So Darius recognized Daniel's commitment. Now, how about us? Usually when we have a problem, that's when we begin to get serious about prayer. Right? When something happens, something comes up, a health issue, a problem at work, something that goes off the rails with our family, at that point, now all of a sudden, we start to get engaged in prayer. But not Daniel. He's been committed, devoted to it way before then, to the extent that now, as there's a problem, as there's a real threat, he just continues in his habit of prayer. Day in and day out, Daniel stopped his world three times a day to pray. So the boys decide, ah, we're going to use that against him. And they come up and hatch their plan. Now, another thing that I think we do, and that we do well to note here, is that as we get into the events of our lives, Oftentimes, we decide, well, we're too busy to pray. There's too much going on. I got, I got so much on my agenda today. And so, especially when there's not a real problem, when things haven't gone off the rails, we're just busy trucking down the tracks as long as hard as we can go. But now, we've got to rem remember here, we've got to recognize that Daniel was running the kingdom at this point. It's not like he was just sitting around twiddling his thumbs. He was a busy dude. And nevertheless, he found three times in his day where he would go home, he'd go upstairs, and incidentally, going upstairs was a sign that he was trying to do this sort of out of sight privately, where he couldn't be observed, you would pray down on the lower level, at the people level, if you wanted to be observed. But he was trying to go upstairs and out of the way. Just as a side note there. Scripture says something about that. Anyhow, he would take the time. Stop, go home, and pray. When we get busy... We expect that God understands. Well, Lord, you know my schedule. You know all the work that I have going on. You know that 
what's resting on this stuff being done, the, the success of my business, my position, I need to produce, I need to perform, I need to accomplish, yada da yada da yada da yada da So when I don't have time to pray, well then you'll understand. And I think we've got that completely backwards. We're the ones that don't understand. What happens when we get busy is we push God aside. He's the one that's asked to take the, the back seat, to sit on the back burner. But rather, we should be understanding that as we put God on the front burner, then He can help us out with all of the rest of it. He has the ability to protect us in our positions. He has the ability to actually help our businesses succeed. He has the ability to help us thrive. And so what we need to be doing, if we're going to be game changers for God, is that we need to be understanding our commitment to Him and understanding then His ability to provide for us any which way He decides to within the context context of our world up to and including the point that if he decides not to provide for us as we're going to talk about somewhat with some characters coming up that even in that case then we're good as well because we know that we're on the mission for God and that's more important than our jobs that's more important than our businesses and that's more important than my personal safety and protection So we, I think, need a wholesale revolution of our perspective of who God is and our commitment to Him so that we get that in the right order. So that we look at God and we say, okay, listen, Lord, I'm putting you first. You're mandatory. You're, you're, you're absolutely essential to my day, my needs, my everything. And so I'm going to stay committed to that and I'm going to trust you with the rest of it. Wherever that goes. I think it would behoove us all to go home and think about that a little bit and how that plays out for you and I in our worlds day by day. Another thing that we need to note here now, back to verse 10. Note that Daniel started his prayer by giving thanks to God. And then in verse 11, after he's given thanks to God, after he's been in prayer with God, as these dudes bust in and bust Daniel for praying against the edict, we see that as they break in at that point, at that point now, Daniel's praying for help. You and I often, so often times go straight to God for the help part, right? We dive in straight to prayer. We're saying, Lord, here's what I need. Here's what I want. This is what I, I'm looking for. And in so doing, we miss a, a vital part of prayer, a vital component of prayer. I can't help but wonder if Paul had Daniel in mind when he wrote Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul says this there, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a fascinating couple of verses right there. If we sit down and we actually think about what Paul is telling us and what he's directing us to in those couple verses tells us a lot about our perspective in life 
by virtue of what we're asked to do as we pray, and then what will be granted having prayed. I'm going to leave you guys to discuss that in your small groups this week, but don't gloss over it. Mind that a little bit. Spend some time understanding what Paul has just told us about there. Because that, again, is revolutionary to how you and I operate today as followers of Jesus Christ in the midst of our world, in the midst of our challenges. So don't miss that. And what we find here is that it seems to have proved very true for Daniel. What Paul has just told us, what he's just instructed us, bears out in Daniel's experience. And let's carry on looking at now verses 17 to 22. So Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation may not be changed. Might not be changed. Ha! Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel! Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever, which was just a common greeting. My God sent this an- his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever done any wrong before before you, your majesty. As we go to God and present him with our requests after giving him our thanksgiving, then the peace of God becomes ours. And it seems like that bared out true for Daniel. Because he spent the night in the lion's den without any concern. Don't worry about me. God sent his angel. Shut the mouths of the lions. Darius was the one that was upset and in turmoil. Darius was the one that went home after throwing Daniel in the lion's den and said, no entertainment for me, not interested in eating, uh, can't sleep all night. Daniel was okay. God provided for him peace. Now let's look at verse 23. There it says, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, I think we have to think about this line here where it says, Daniel had trusted in his God. As I think about it, I can't help but think that Daniel's prayer must have been different than mine. Because if it had been me praying then I would have been praying that God would somehow keep me from the problem. 
that he would remove the problem from Eden. Daniel recognized, understood the edict. He understood. The violators weren't just going to be prosecuted. Violators were going to be eaten. And so, me being in Daniel's place, I would have been playing, praying, oh, please, Lord, somehow find a way to get me out of this mess. Find, find a way so that I don't have to be thrown into the lion's den. Somehow just remove the problem Eliminate it. And I, I don't think that that was the way that Daniel was praying at all. I think Daniel was praying that God would help him live up to the mission. I think that Daniel was looking back and he was giving thanks to God for all that God had done for him. For the way that he, he had provided for him in so many different ways. Even as he'd been taken captive and made to serve the Babylonians. And that as he, as he had stayed committed to God, that God had been with him through all of those challenges. And I think that Daniel is saying again, Lord, here we go again. So today, help me to do what I need to do, which is to live for you. And I'm going to trust you with the results because I trust you. I trust you. Remember last week? As Paul called on the Ephesians to pray for him? He didn't ask that he would be released from prison, that God would get him out of jail. He asked that he would have the courage to proclaim God in his circumstances, that he would be able to do as he should, to, to, to testify to God's goodness. I think Daniel was on page with Paul. Or Paul was on page with Daniel, however you want to look at it. They were praying that God would provide for them so that they could live up to the mission. Whatever that was. Whether you want to preserve my life now or whether you want to take it. We're going to look at that again coming up in a couple, few weeks. We need to be on that page as well. So that we begin to understand and see the mission as more important. As bigger than ourselves. So that we're not just going to God all the time and saying, It's all about me, Lord. It's all about me. Please provide for me in all of these circumstances and in all of these ways. And it's not bad to take Him our requests. But at the end of the day, we need to be more committed to what God wants to do in us and through us. To give Him our lives then and allow Him to exploit us for Christ's sake. So that we could be then game changers for God. So that he could use our lives and leverage us to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Whichever way and however way he wants to do that. And we see that that's what happened here for Daniel. As we turn to verses 25 to 27, we see that God used Daniel to change the game. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations 
and the peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Darius goes from issuing an edict that everyone pray to me to now issuing an edict that everybody reverence and worship God. Shortly hereafter, in the span of history, Cyrus then made a decree that the Israelites could return to Jerusalem. And what's more, he ordered that the temple then be rebuilt. That Israel was no longer going to be in exile, but was going home. And I can't help but again wonder to what extent Daniel's testimony for God in the midst of this played out in Cyrus's mind and his head. That he reviewed that over and over. And decided whether or not just pragmatically, I'm just not going to mess with this God of Daniel. Or whether there was more to it. But one way or the other, he decided that it was okay, it was good, in fact, to release them to go back to their homeland and, and that he would resource them in rebuilding their temple. Now, leading up to that, I would encourage you, go on now to Daniel chapter 9 and read Daniel's prayer there as Daniel anticipates this. There's so much there, again, to mind. It says that Daniel recognized from Scripture what the history, what, the, what the, the prediction was for the children of Israel, that they were going to be exiled for 70 years, and he was anticipating that, and he was praying for that in advance. It tells us a lot. So check that out at home as you have an opportunity. And at this point, one more time, as we close, we need to be reminded again that it isn't just Daniel that can be a game changer today. James 5, verse 16b says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's in the NIV. I love the King James Version. It says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's a promise to us today that as we fervently and effectually pray, that we can accomplish much. And you need to understand that verse today because I would read that when I was younger and it would say, well, the prayers of a righteous person would avail a lot, would accomplish much. Which seemed to me to be saying, oh, you've got to be goody-goody. You've got to somehow meet a standard. You've got to somehow measure up. And that once you attain that level, once you attain that status of a righteous man, then you've got power in prayer. And I was completely wrong. As you go back and you study that passage, which incidentally is in the context of praying for healing, which is interesting too. We can't get into that today. But anyways, as you go back and you read that passage, 
James tags on this idea that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And what he's saying there is not somebody that is self-righteous, somehow that someone who has measured up on their own or attained a status on their own. But no, what he's talking about there is somebody who is righteous by virtue of Jesus Christ. Therefore, somebody that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and is trusting Christ for all that he's done for us. Thereby, the person that God sees through the lens of Jesus Christ. So as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, then we have become righteous before God. And on that basis, then, we are righteous men, which is to say, men and women. Men, women, and children. All of which to say that we can accomplish much in prayer. We can be game changers today. Bob, where are you? Amen. Church family and friends, God is calling us today to go out and be game changers for Him. How do we accomplish that? By His power, through His righteousness. We have everything that we need. We just now need to decide to do it. Are we going to be hearers today, or are we going to be doers for Him? Let's pray. Father, one more time we would ask that you would come now and that you would change our hearts and our minds. Father, that you would make us different people, that we would react and we would respond to you in a new way, that we would understand you better and that we would now follow you more closely. Lord, help us to be the game changers that you desire us to be. Help us to come alongside you as you work that by you then that we would be able to be a testimony, that we would be able to impact, that we would have influence significantly on our family, friends, and neighbors, co-workers, and even beyond. For we ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Now, to try and help us all accomplish this goal of being game changers and being fervent and effective in prayer. We've got something for you today. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come out, come and hand these out, one for everyone. And I would really encourage you, please take one. Maybe you're already doing this, but maybe you're not. Maybe you need a little bit of a, a boost, a little bit of help in learning and, and growing in your prayer life. So we've got a little guide here. Jana developed this whole thing for us. And she's awesome. And we want you to take that home. It has a little bit of a, an explanation at the beginning of, of it. It's a guide. Just, and I would encourage you, pick a time in the course of your day where you're going to meet with God consistently, regularly. That it would have pre pre predominance, preeminence in your schedule. And that you would take that and you, you would just use that as a way that you could draw close to Him, that you can grow in your commitment. We can all become more committed to Him. And that I trust that as we do that, as we get into that habit and as we exploit it, that then we will recognize the currency, the value of the currency of prayer and that we would become game changers for him. Thanks for being here. And speaking of game changers, today being the launch of another new series, it's Donut Sunday. And actually, 
cronut Sunday. And if you haven't had a cronut, they're game changers. So go out and enjoy those, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.